Hey guys, welcome to the After Laugh. I'm here with my friend Paul Favar. Hi, I, Bill. I always feel like I mutilate your name because it's just Favar. Favar. Just silent. Yeah. Now that name is a, uh, a Middle Eastern name. Persian name, yeah. Persian yeah, name. Now, do you identify as a Persian comic? It's funny, uh, and I talked about this on stage. In here, I kind of do when I'm in L.A., but in Chicago or like on the road, like no one knows what that is. There aren't what the Iranian community in. Los Angeles is totally different than everywhere. And yes, L.A. being Persian, there's already if you're like, oh, OK, like they've already had their stereotype of how I am. Uh -huh. But in Chicago, people are like, so what, what are you like Indian? Like they don't know. Interesting. It's gotten better recently because we're in the news. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good <laughs> <Again>. for you. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, people growing up like I was there wasn't there's not this community that there is here where everyone knows. I was like one of. I went to a predominantly white school where I was like the token non-white in the group. Interesting. Now, when I tour with Maz Jabrani around the world, it's always amazing because no matter where we, we can go to the <laughs> whitest countries in the world. They'll come out. And a thousand Persians yeah. will show up. I'm like, where have you been all week? I haven't yeah. seen any of you. And now you're all in this They come room. from Maz. He's like the Persian Elvis when he comes to Chicago. Then you'll see all of them come. And, and they all do. Now he he's different, but when he first started, like they would come out of the woodworks, and you'd be yeah. like, "Oh, these are all the Persians I know." Now, do you feel like that's something that you can tap into, or that you don't want to, or you feel that's been sated already? I talk about it a little bit; it's part of my act, but um, I definitely change it up when I'm on the road. You know, I I did a show in Arkansas like a month ago, and people were coming up to me that and. Like a guy was like, just so you know, when you said you're Persian, I have a joke where I say I'm a Persian John Lovitz or something like that. Uh -huh. And uh, like the people didn't understand what you were saying. You got to say Iranian. I'm like, oh, OK. Interesting. So I do have to like change it up. I change my jokes here a lot because the crowds, especially when you do Tehran show at, La at Laugh Factory, like half of the crowd is Iranian. So I, I cover it and then I move on because I'm like anything I say. Yeah you know maximini or someone else is gonna do much better yeah i know i i us. always when when i first actually Ma al madrigal helped me with this when i was opening for maz internationally on the road i was a little bit like i have to play clean first of all for right. his i mean it, pg maybe pg-13 because right. they're 12 year old kids in the audience in and the stuff. Shows, yeah uh and al said some gave me some great advice he goes look for these crowds he goes you just got to lay things out very logically and easily to get them on your side and once you do that and so this was my one two three opener from <laughs> Maz Jabrani I was like hey, hey hey guys probably not what you're expecting ha 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 and I go but I am an honorary Persian now for some reason that gets a big laugh applause whatever I and I say and this is Al's joke I go and I put on my arm I go my blood type is saffron <laughs> and it will get a huge laugh. That's a great line. I don't know why that's a great line. I just was oh, like, I, I was like, I'll, I'll say funny. it. I say it, and it murders. And I go, and I love Persian women. Big reaction. I go, because I want to disappoint someone else's parents for a change. And those three jokes, just in relate. a row, yeah. they all go, great okay, we like this guy, and right then I can away. talk about whatever I want. And I don't have to, like, feed into the idea of, like, I'm on a Persian show. Um so that's that's how now you said you grew up with the one Persian kid, literally the one Persian kid. In your so school? there were there were like a group of the my parents had I had friends who were my Persian friends who are like their friends that they grew up. And then we'd have like parties with them and then we'd call each we're like basically we call each other cousins, even though we weren't. But we would see them. They didn't go to my school. They were like within the 50 mile radius of where I grew up. Yeah. And then that was like a it was very ethnocentric, but there was like. 12 people yeah 12 families in all of the chicago area that i grew up with that i would see you know on a regular basis but then my high school uh there was like one other per we, i had like four or five four or five hundred people uh in our class 1200 in the school i would say there was like five persians total oh wow yeah and did you feel connected to the community or did you feel I like i didn't I didn't really until I got older. I kind of wanted to just assimilate. Yeah, to be course. honest with you, I was just kind of like, I'm white. I'm gonna try to be as white as possible, because uh, I, I it was like a very white 
thing, a white school that I went to. So I was just like, I just want to fit in. Did you, know? you feel ever uh, an example of overt racism that like hit you at a young age? You were like, holy shit, I am not white. Uh I didn't. Ex- my brother older. My brother's a lot older than me. He experienced a lot more. Probably because if your brother's a lot older, terrorist. maybe the I- Iranian yeah the, the crisis seventy nine. It was it passed me because I was already I was too young. But uh, my brother dealt with it, and my uncle dealt with it because they were they were dealing with the hostage crisis in seventy nine. But I yeah. I was I was like two, so it didn't affect me. Yeah. But um, I didn't I didn't experience it. Um, other than my friends would like give me shit about you know being terrorists and stuff like that and then luckily i was already an adult when 9-11 happened so yeah i didn't experience it then yeah so you've kind of you were luckily you, you were in the interstitial areas where you were able to escape i didn't yeah because my name was paul like oh when i was really young my so my middle name is ashkan and that's what i went by up until you we were moved. called ashkan ashkan was my name and i legally changed it to paul i switched it uh-huh. when i was in uh first grade second grade when we uh, moved on your own call, my own call, I was like, I want to, I want to be called Paul. Cause Interesting. Uh, my mom was born on the same day as Paul McCartney, and uh, sh- and then my best friend's name was Paul. So I was like, I want to be Paul. Yeah. And my parents were like, Yeah, okay, whatever. My brother has a Persian name, Arash. It's a very Persian name. Ashkan is a Persian name, but from from the age of like seven on, I was Paul. Interesting. So I like change my name. I I've find never s- I've never talked about that, but that's funny. And, and you and you're you're not like mixed Persian. You're a hundred percent Persian. Yeah. And was there a time where you f- ever felt, I don't know, embarrassed? But did you f- did you feel like you wanted to sort of deny it? Or yeah, all the time. It? I think yeah. I was embarrassed by my parents a lot. Like I remember going to and and I, there's another Persian comedian, Chris Bader. We talk about it a lot, but like. I'm always like, did you talk? Did someone talk about this on stage? And he's like, no, Maz already covered this. But like, one thing that did happen, I remember for soccer, like uh, w- you had to bring orange slices for halftime. Yeah, that was the thing. You had to bring or- if every mom had to. And do what it did the Persian mom bring? Mom brought like pomegranate, <laughs> like, and she and she's like, no, it's going to be the same thing. I'm like, no, it's not, mom. It dries <laughs> you out. Like, and then so those kind of things happen all the time. Or like, yeah. Persian food. Like I was like, mom, when I have friends over, can you just make American food? Like I don't want them to. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I was very like, I kind of denied it. Interesting. Growing I up, up until like I was probably until I was like 18. I feel like it's kind of like having like a weird name when you're a kid. You have a weird name and people bug you about your weird name and you hate it. And then you become an adult. You're like, that's a cool fucking name. Yeah, right. I'm glad I have a weird name. It's different now because kids like they lean into it. Right. So there's a lot of like uh, people who uh, being different is like accepted. So I have a I have a nephew who's a ginger. He's a redheaded Persian kid. He's half Irish, half Persian. And I was like, oh, my God, like he's going to have such a hard time. But. I have a lot of friends who are comedians who are like these good looking redheaded guys. And I'm like, did you have problems? He's like, yeah, he goes, but it all changed when and like they're, they're millennials. So like they didn't, there was no redheaded stepchild issues. Like they were yeah. the cool kid cause they were different. Exactly. And that's this whole new, the whole new intersectional are not getting bullied like we did. Yeah. If you can be intersectional, I mean, look, there's a whole weird bullshit movement that I am not behind at all about the poor white man and what the poor white man is dealing with right now. I mean, that's a bunch of garbage. Like mm, things are pretty good. So <laughs> you know had what I mean? Good for a while, guys. I, I, yeah, we've had a good, and it's, and it's still yeah, good. good and look, it's going to come back. I, I, I still audition for cops and people that are, are, you know, there's still roles for, for white people. Uh, racist number two. Now yeah, you know what we felt hey. like terrorist number two and everything. I, I, Am I getting paid? Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think that that's such a weird um, misplaced, insecurity and antagonism that is uh it's like a flash in the pan the stuff they hear when when white male comics complain about being a white male comic it's it's just hilarious to me because part of me is like you just gotta write a better joke if you're not feeling represented write a better joke and if you want to say your most lascivious white male patriarchal thing and you want to cloak and dagger and trojan horse it into your comedy just do it well yeah just do it well and you can do it you know what i mean you won't have to update yeah. So uh, now, now that you've kind of uh, at the point in your life where you have accepted your Persianhood and your Paulhood, 
what what does that amalgam look like what like where's your comedy taking you with this is it something that you're still exploring yeah no so like i obviously when you start you do i did a lot of persian like stereotype stuff what were your first persian stereotype jokes you remember i don't even remember the stuff that i what was your first joke that you're like ah this is a joke that works uh i would self-deprecate and i i think i said um my first joke that hit and i think i that's what started my thing my career i should say was i said my friend like was a really good looking guy and he's like here's what we're gonna do we're gonna get you laid tonight we're gonna tell these girls uh you're a pilot girls like pilots and i said uh i'm middle eastern you're you're a pilot we're a pilot we're gonna go up to these girls and lie okay and say we're we're gonna say you're a pilot girls love pilots Uh i was like uh i'm middle eastern we don't fly planes i mean we we don't don't land land them right yeah something like that and that was like me leaning into it and addressing it up top yeah um I did a few more of those Persian, like those stereotypical per- Persian uh, or Middle Eastern terrorist stuff. Um, and then I stopped, I like did it and then I moved into like. Because it felt authentic ri- to you? Um, yeah, like I'll still do it, but it's more like personal stories. Yeah. Like talking about my parents being, uh, you know, relating it to like now I have a new joke about Remy Malik, who's this Arab who's the first Arab to win an Oscar, but like. I looked up his family, like his sister's like a successful doctor. And like, so I just kind of like was like, I just pictured like his childhood, like him struggling to be creative and his dad being like, no, you're not going to. Because I, you know, I, I, I was in a band and my dad was like, what are, the fuck what are, are you, you doing? doing? Yeah. yeah. How much pressure did you get from your family to be quote unquote, uh, Persian I'll, and follow the Persian train? Well, they I got pressured to have a, a traditional career, obviously, yeah. to get good grades and, and you stuff. became a l- you got a law degree I w- right i do i, I practice law for you still practice law years. not no not really I, I quit my firm uh years ago to do this yeah i think that's <laughs> uh, amazing they're so yeah. proud um <laughs> but are I, they no they're kind of like in denial i think but they're so old so like they're kind of like yeah we'll just have fun he's happy yeah i think so do they listen to your podcast no i think they've heard a few and they're like i don't want to they're like that's enough yeah but uh you know, I had a brother who was like, he's seven years older than me. He's like, uh, he's a PhD, PhD neurosurgeon. Wow. So like growing up, he was always like the, the smart one. Right. Yeah. So like, I kind of was like, I'm never going to be able to compete with that. My dad was an orthopedic surgeon. Like, I'm like, I'm never going to be like a successful like that. So I like became popular. I was like, I'm just going to work on being popular. I'm going to excel in sports. I play tennis. Like our team was like, we won state a couple of years and that's what I did. I did the opposite. Kind of like, I can't, yeah. I'm not going to, I don't have the discipline to study. And mm-hmm. I, uh, the only thing I would do was like, I would come up with the ways to like beat the system to like, cause I couldn't study, but I would like cheat in like yes. classes. Like I learned big fan, the times that I spent coming up with cheat sheets that I could hide in different places. I could have just <laughs> fucking studied and like learned the, like, but you're working on your creativity. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's funny. We're cleaning out my parents' house now because we want them to move there in the same house. And I'm finding, like, my papers and stuff from, like, 1994, 1995 when I'm in college and high school and shit. And um, my mom's like, oh, you should keep that. I'm like, what am I going to keep this for? Like, why did I keep these this long? Like, yeah. And I don't, I don't remember writing half this shit because I was like, oh, my brother wrote these, a lot of this shit for me. Yeah, that's so like funny. Smart. I had two older. This is this is. It, it's funny because this actually comes up in my comedy. Are you the sometimes. youngest in your? I'm the youngest of yeah, three. I see that. So, um, I have two older brothers who are both bona fide geniuses. Right, they're both number one in their high school classes. My in my high school class, it was about 900 people, uh, a class, 800, 900 class, and they're both number one. Now I wasn't number one, right? But I was part of the legacy of these Dawes kids, and I was definitely not as smart as my brothers. But because I had all their homeworks and all the same teachers, and my brothers never threw anything away, if I was in a gym because I was playing sports, same thing. I was like I was like a soccer star. I was a captain. I was MVP. I was all honorable mention all state, Um, and I was trying to get laid. Yeah. So um, I ended up. you know using those those homeworks i'm like i'm just gonna okay this week i'll just copy don's homework this week i'll copy jim's homework <laughs> and and it got you through and it got me and you know i think i'm not a complete moron so i could like get by i didn't graduate number one to say the least 
Um, and what was funny about it, and this is part of the story that kind of, it, it runs counter to a lot of stuff I talk about in my comedy because I talk about kind of growing up half white, half trash, right? Um, like my mom was a community college dropout. My dad was like a C student. Um, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. And, uh, but my brothers are both doctors. And one's a, prof- a tenured professor and one's an MD. And they both married doctors. So I'm like, oh, the yeah. family's like Dr. Dawes, Dr. Dawes, Dr. Dawes, Dr. Dawes, Bill, you know? Yeah. So, um, but then I also talk about being from white trash. Like, hey, man, you must get a lot of pussy out in LA. I'm like, not really, mom. And people <laughs> go, well, what, what is it? The truth is, there, there was Reader's Digest did an article about my family, mostly about my brothers, about how um, you can be poor and you can be from humble beginnings and be and have great kids who are incredibly smart and do big things. And um, I kind of rested on the laurels of my brothers. And my brothers were also fucking crazy. So no one fucked with me in high school. Yeah. Because my, my like when Goodwill Hunting came out, I called my brother Jim, who I think at the time was getting his PhD at Harvard. And I said, Jimmy, there's a movie about you. <laughs> yeah, my brother's on the spectrum a little bit too. Yeah. In the sense that like he doesn't have like emotions and yeah. And but he's cr- but my brother was like a nerd. Like he was he wasn't like people didn't know who he was. Whereas I was like, I'm going to build a different legacy yeah. for me. I'm going to be like popular. Everyone knew who I was by the time I graduated. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, when so, yeah, I get that. So you you so comedy for you, obviously, we, in high school, probably wasn't in your purview. No, it wasn't. I, I always thought I was going to be in politics. I was like reading all like reading all this shit again, cleaning all this stuff out. It's been it's been amazing. I'm learning so much stuff about and then like we all wrote my friends and I all my best friends are still my best friends were from high school because yeah. those were like my closest friends and uh we wrote letters to each other because this is before internet right yeah. so when our first year internet didn't hit until junior year for me in college so we would call each other and then the letters i'm g- i kept all of them this is from 1995 1990 1994 Hey, I can't call you anymore. Our, our bills are like 90 bucks last month from because we get drunk and we call each other. We're <laughs> like, hey, where are you? I'm drunk. I just went to six bars. And they're like, I'm in Oregon. I'm fucking wasted, too. And uh, are we allowed to swear on this? Thing? Of course. Uh, Jesus. And so, uh, um, but I'm like, what I did find was that, like, they would all call me Senator Farvar because I was like, I'm gonna, I, w- I remember I would be like, when we take pictures, I can't have alcohol in pictures. Like, I want to, because these are going to come back. Interesting. So I thought I was going to be the senator and uh, I was going to then I became like involved in music. I'm like, I'm going to get involved in music. But the one you thing did that the, you did the, uh, the Beto O'Rourke uh, yeah, path. That's what I thought was going to happen. And then uh, but what I did find interesting in all this is my friends and I, all the letters were talking about comedy. We're talking oh, wow. about like things that I forgot about. Like we're talking like um, there used to be VH1 stand up specials that I didn't even remember. I don't remember that either. But my friend, well, like, he's like, you need to watch these, like, sta- like to give, because we'd, we'd quote other jokes from other comedians that we'd see. Yeah. Like, this guy's hilarious and stuff. And I remember my brother took me to see uh, Eddie Murphy, the movie, uh, d- uh, Raw, when yes. it came out, when I was in sixth grade. Huge event. And that, like, I those are the things that, like, I, it was always resonated with me. But then I just didn't, I didn't pursue it until later in life. Yeah, and so then you went to, lo- where did you go to law school? I went to Illinois and Champaign. And at this point, comedy is still not. No, at this point, I went to law school at the same place I went to undergrad only because uh, I thought I was going to go to. G- I got into GW and I was going to go to back. I lived in D.C. for a year uh, and I was like, OK, that's probably the best move for me if I'm going to go into politics. But I was in a band. And if I stayed in Champaign, my friends who are 50 or seniors and like a year younger than me, we could stay in the band. And I'd still be the big man on campus. So yeah. I went to U of I to keep the band alive and to yeah. keep playing music that's great and then uh what they don't tell you about law school is like you have to like go to class and like study and like they, they tell you stay in school they don't tell you the rest of that sentence yeah it's yeah, like yeah don't work at a bar yeah don't that's do drugs to try uh-huh. to stay up you think you're gonna fly by based on your knowledge of judge judy that just doesn't work <laughs> that's like a joke i do but it's true and uh my first year of law school like i was working at a bar i was playing in bands i didn't like go to class and i my grades were like b solid b's in law school but b's in law school are like the bottom half of your class because really yeah and i had a c too so 
and your first year of law school demo finalizes like what destination you're going to have as a lawyer essentially really if you're going to go into law be on member of law review mm -hmm. um, or you're going to work at a big big firm where you're going to make millions of dollars or whatever working your ass off so there's no idea of like if i just get my law degree i'll get a job well i never wanted to go into the private sector to work at a big law firm yeah make a lot of money that was never on my thing i went to law school because i was like i'm going to get a law degree and i'm either going to pursue politics or be an entertainment lawyer right okay. those are the things i was going to do and i my big idea was i'm going to write a one-hit wonder i'm going to get famous from that and then I'm going to either ride that into political world or ride it into entertainment field somehow and like manage bands. Yeah. And that's what I, I ended up taking the ladder and man playing in bands and managing bands for, for years. Are you managed? So did you get your one hit wonder or something close to I it? I didn't No, Uh, <laughs> my band did get signed 20 years after the album in our vintage record label called fervor F E R V O R records. And, uh, it's on Spotify. Oh, wow. Uh, band called Shoeshine Boy, and our music was on CSI Miami. Wow. It's just kind of a weird That's crossroads. cool, man. Do you still get paid for it? Uh, yeah, we did. We got paid. It, 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 the way that went down is like a crazy, crazy situation. Like, um, I was I was looking up. So this is, I used to, we used to do music licensing for bands that I worked on, work with and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was in Arizona. I had a show where I was, I was featuring or had I don't remember, but I I looked into my contacts to see who I knew in Arizona so I can say, I need to bring as many people as I can from this show. Yeah. And I saw that there's this guy, who we used to give music to, like they would, back in the day there was a time in the music world where, they would, they would pay you a lot of money, to do a song. They'd be like, hey, we want this song that sounds like Wilco, but uh, make it. A little faster, this many beats per minute, and also talk about AutoZone. And here's 20 grand. And then you you would like get paid to do it. And that's what we did. Yeah. And this guy who. So it's was like a jingles, basically, yeah? Jingles, but just like they wanted to like. Yeah, like it, there's like a, a catalog of music where they'd be like, we don't have, we can't afford Dolores, so we didn't have cranberries, but here's a yes. song that sounds a lot like her. Got it. And we can make a song that's called like let's say instead of zombie like we'll call it raven yeah or whatever yeah like something else dark and uh and that's there's there's a market for that or there was for a while um so i saw that the guy lived in his arm like hey this is weird um i don't do that anymore but um i, I would love to meet you see if like there is a connection because i still have all this catalog of music that i wrote and like managed and whatever i'm in town doing comedy and he's like yeah just come over we'll figure it out as soon as i walk in he's got like this whole thing the guy who runs his company has like all these like chicago mad chicago fire chicago things on the wall i'm like i just i just had a part in chicago mad he's like oh we do all the music for that i'm like whoa what like yeah you know we do a lot of music for like different uh places they need authentic movie and this is us is a big thing now we need a lot of music from like the years uh 1994 to 2004 i'm like well, those huh. are the years i used to play music and i know all these bands and his eyes like literally he's like uh yeah we have a vintage label that's all we're doing now and i'm like let me uh see what i can do wow and how many songs did they end up they um, took all of them or a lot they took one of my artists uh dan dara who was like this big artist on Aware Compl Aware Records was a big deal. That's what John uh, they found John Mayer, uh -huh. Matchbox Twenty, a lot of the uh, old uh, 2000s bands. They took him, and then they said they wanted a female-led band. And I go, I'll just throw my band in there and see what happens. Yeah, w we were called Shine Boy. A female singer sound like Manly Merchant. Great, great album. I still stand by it. And um, I didn't think anything of it. And then uh, I'm in L.A driving on franklin avenue uh two years ago and i get a call and i didn't answer it was, it was like michigan number and uh i didn't answer it and i'm like all right whatever it's probably some weird call spam yeah it keeps calling so i finally i'm like i'm like i have two hours to burn let's just see what this is and i and then i answer it so it's this guy who works at the record company goes hey uh that band uh shoeshine boy and, and the name of my company was also called shoeshine boy i'm like well which band Shoeshine Boy. He's like, no, the band Shoeshine Boy. I'm like, oh, so 
when we send it to you, we probably send it from a Shoeshine Boy email. That's the name of the company. But what what band are you calling by? He goes, the band Shoeshine Boy with the female. I'm like, oh, shit, I, I forgot I sent you the band Shoeshine Boy, oh, too. He's crazy. like, yeah, we really like it. He goes, are you ever in, like, are you going to be in California anytime soon? I'm like, um, weird story. I'm actually in California right now. And he's like, well, what are you doing here? I go, so I don't know if the other guy told you, but I do comedy now. He's like, well, where are you right now? I'm like, I'm on uh, Fairfax in, like, Franklin. And he's like, go two blocks up. I'm at the coffee shop right here. Just come here. Whoa. What are the, ch- I mean. I mean, crazy. Yeah, so I sit there. I, I made. I talked to this guy for a while. Jacob, he's a really cool guy. He's involved in the, he comes to comedy shows randomly. That's awesome. He works with Jamie Masada on a fun thing. And I'm like, this is really weird. And the. Next thing you know, he, they signed us to a, a deal, a vintage label, Fervor Records. 20 years after the album's been recorded. That is so crazy. So is the music still being put in other shows yeah, or maybe? This Is Us, a couple other shows. I mean, Has I it been on This Is Us? It hasn't yet. But That'd I be guess huge. someone there likes our singer's voice because yeah. she's like a... And she's Natalie Merchant. Yeah, okay. Um, it's a long story short, but yeah, that was like my life. And then now it's all kind of coming together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The comedy thing. It was just so bizarre. That so how did the comedy thing first kind of come about where you're like, I'm getting on stage? Uh, I was doing improv with a friend who's Chris Bader's a comedian, and I was like, I, I was pushing him to do comedy. I'm like, listen, you're going to regret it if you don't at least try. I always regret it that um, keep, 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 keep. that um, I, um, I didn't pursue it. So um, – I uh, I just was like, I think it'll be cool if you do it. And I tried to push him to go forward with it. And uh, he told me I had to go to Second City with him to take classes with him, which I decided to do just to help him. And I was like, it'll be fun. Lady told us that was running the show. Those are teachers like you guys should keep this up. I'm like, all right, this is fun. I'll just do s- improv with him. Yeah. He was doing it so he can get better at comedy. And then um, he ended up getting a slot opening for Bob Saget. Huh. A year in, um, a year into comedy. Yeah, like just a friend of a friend got him a. Sl- it was a guest spot, but we yeah. didn't know what it was called back then. And uh, it's on the Cubs home opener. I'm a huge Cubs fan, so I go to. He goes, "Come with me. Act like my manager. You're like a manager. I'm freaking out. I'm so nervous." <laughs> Sold out show to casino in Chicago, in Indiana, and I get there as I'm walking into the club to go to the VIP, the backstage room. Bob Saget's also walking in. I'm drunk because I was at the Cubs game, so I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, hey, Bob!" Uh, and then he's like, "Oh, are you doing the show?" I'm like, "No, I'm uh, I'm just uh, you know, friend of the guy, and I'm like his manager." He's like, "Oh, cool!" I, and I go, "I was at the Cubs game," and then we start just shooting the shit. We get to the green room. My friend is too nervous to talk to Bob Saget, <laughs> and so I'm just in the green room talking to Bob Saget and Mike Toomey, another comedian from Chicago. And then uh, next thing you know, I said something, and Bob Saget thought it was funny. He's like, oh, are you, are you doing that tonight? I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not the comedian. That's Chris Bader. He's another Middle Eastern comedian. We don't we don't look alike, but if you're racist, we look alike. Or yeah, I said yeah, yeah, like yeah. And then he's like, oh, you should go up and do that, whatever the story you did. I go, no, I don't. I don't. I've never done stand up. I'm just here to support. He said, just go up there. I want to riff off what you do. Wow. He could have been fucking with me just to have me go up there and bomb and then have me go. Like, have He was going to do a song. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was a, it was a joke about um a musician i don't remember that is a crazy origin story so, so bob site just pushed you like a little baby told me bird to up go, but here's the thing uh it's a sold out show i'm drunk how many people were you talking about uh it was a casino so five six hundred people huge i didn't grow up you've never d- oh you no, didn't go I didn't okay. up yeah. okay. <laughs> oh well the fuck this story well no okay. it gets better um so i didn't go up because they were all like pushing me and then i didn't go up the next day i did an open mic and that was like some contest and i won it and then like i ended up the next day you did open mic in a the contest and you won. The next day I did open mic for the first time. And then um, that same day I did the second mic at the s- a different place. And they, it was a contest. And then I I won it. And then they're like, hey, we don't like our host. Will you be the host of this thing? And I was like, yeah, I love hosting. Because sure. I used to host comedy shows all the time. Or music shows before that. I used to like MC stuff. Yeah. 
and then yeah, that's it. The next thing is so the first time. Bob, so if he didn't say anything to me, I would. You never, never been. A g- have no. you expressed your gratitude to him? Have you? I've talked about this story before. He doesn't know it, but I mean. Oh, he would love to hear that story. I don't know him personally, but I, I definitely have told to this him, story yeah. on radio and TV interviews. So yeah, it's out there. You got to get him on your podcast and talk about it, man. Yeah, he's he's uh, engaged to a friend of a friend too, or, and she's from Chicago. So yeah, no, put I missed him when i was working at wgn radio like i missed him by like 20 minutes oh wow time i was gonna be like i don't know if you remember me but i think people you know it's so funny because i think no matter how big people are i think they really love hearing stories like that i want to be a little do something bigger like maybe like be on a show with them yeah, at the same time be like hey <laughs> yeah. i don't know if you remember by me, the way yeah 10 years ago yeah you i'm a show runner you want to be in my show <laughs> okay yeah exactly i mean he so changed my he changed my i mean that's amazing that one it's comic. very rare that one person with one comic can change your Maybe life. Maybe I would have eventually done stand up. Probably. But I was doing yeah. improv at that time and I really liked it. And I was r- helping write, c- like giving ideas to Chris Bader, who was doing comedy. Yeah. But uh, I was like, eh, maybe one day I'll do it as a bucket list item. Do you feel that uh, there is uh, that improv and stand up run at odds with each other? Because I feel like a lot of times people like they have to choose one or the other. In Chicago, there's a lot of like animosity between the two but i i think i'm glad i took improv classes it's helped me a lot in terms of just being able to like adjust and act stuff out a little better although i've like want to take acting classes to just get better at that even further but yeah but there is that animosity for sure in chicago especially like now your first your first set your first set was hosting this well your first set was the open mic thing open mic was i did and uh, you killed I th- you I won? mean, in my mind, I thought no. If the the first one was just a regular open mic, uh, and I, I I invited all my friends like an idiot. Like of course, of course, who does that? And then I thought I did well. Like I th- I think I. In Do my you remember mind, any I, of your first jokes? I don't remember which I did those nights that night, but it was it was something dirty. <laughs> I remember I did it. I was really dirty when I started, and then um. I don't know. Oh, the s- the second set that I did that ended up winning that thing and getting the job as the host, I um everyone was eating a dick, and uh, the way that the stage was set up, so like where you're sitting, the door is right behind, so people would be walking into this bar not knowing comedy is going on, and all I did was I started doing a joke and instead I just started talking to people as they're walking in and yeah. just doing crowd work, and then it was crushing because then the people that were walking in that were previously leaving. We're all staying. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, crushing in my mind. Who knows how funny it was. By the way, if you're doing an open mic for the first time and you're getting any laughs, (laughs) you're crushing. Yeah. Well, the first two times I did, I had friends. Well, no, I didn't have anyone there the second time. But the first time I did, I I was getting laughs because the only non-comics in the room were my friends. Yeah, yeah. I had like six or seven people in a room. And then, um, and then we created this open mic space that ended up being like one of the best open mics in Chicago, where the bookers from all the clubs would come and watch. It was a oh competition wow. where we had celebrity judges, so we like hired hot girls to be judges, give them free, <laughs> free uh, unlimited food and drink tab. Yeah. And then like these comics would do their A game because they wanted to win and like impress these beautiful women. Isn't that crazy that even now with everything going on in the yeah. world? Men are just trying to impress pretty girls. Yeah, and that's. And then it. we had like we had like um, the the contest judges were sometimes like the bookers at like Laugh Factory Chicago, uh, comedy bar or whatever. Yeah. So um. So right away, like a spot where people yeah. See. So that's pretty. So things happened. They accelerated pretty quickly for you in terms of comedy that way. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, it did. Then it just was stagnant for the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> but what yeah. would you say is the f- what was the first moment that you? Because I'm s- sure while you're doing this, you're not thinking this is it. This is my path. I'm on. Was there a moment that solidified? Yeah. I am now a comic for you. Okay, so you're involved in it a little bit. Whoa! Here, I'll tell you a funny. I hope story. in a good way. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was. So. Four years ago, um, it was my first week. I think it was four. F- I don't remember how long it was. You you might remember. Um, it was my first week in Holly in Calif- L.A. doing shows, and uh, they had booked me through the week. And um, Monday, I did Tehran show, late slot, ate a dick, bombed. Yeah. yeah. Then uh, 
two days later I did okay the next two nights but then Thursday bombed again at the the show again those were because I I was doing shit wasn't adjusting to the crowd which was like mostly Middle Easterners yeah I was like used to being the only I was talking about Persian stuff which they're probably like we've we've heard this we've heard this we've yeah heard this from Maz we heard it from Max we heard from Amir K we heard from Tehran now you're like the fifth pot and Dan all the other Persian comics so I ate a dick and then Friday you went you were hosting at Long Beach and I was the first coming after you and it was right after there was a bomb that went off in um, France remember that uh, the oh yeah the, the shooting she Charlie thing the no. concert oh oh the area Grande no, no, no. This was five years stupid. ago. I forgot what band it was. They were like a rock band that uh, Josh, uh, what's his name, was in from. Uh, oh, fuck. They went into the France Batalon and they shot up the. Yeah. A bunch of people got killed. Yeah. And it just happened. And it was in the news and it was like the first terrorist attack in a while. And then I was like, hey, are you going to like address it? And you're like, fuck yeah, it's funny. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> Is that what I said? So, but you were like. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna address it, and it was it was like really in the news. Like, yeah, it people just were like happened. looking at it on their phones in the crowd, and at that time, I had like a lot of like terrorists sure. going on in the jokes, and uh, you went up and you did you leaned into it. Like what you did said I do? You remember anything? Really I said? dark, like right up top, and uh, it didn't it didn't hit. Really surprising. It didn't hit. <laughs> it, well, it is surprising because I was like. At that time, I was like, I saw you crush all week. I'm like, well, this is a, he'll figure it out and he'll set the tone. Because <laughs> I think I asked you, I go, are you going to talk about it? You're like, fuck yeah, it's funny. And I was like, because I do a lot of stuff about it and I don't know if I should do anything <laughs> like it. And you did it. I ruined it for you. No, no, no. You okay. set me up so I wouldn't do it because I was like, well, I'm not going to do it. Oh, <laughs> OK. But I still kind of like didn't have a good set. Yeah. Well, Long Beach is also the Long Beach Laugh Factory. Right. for people. There's Back a then. Hollywood Laugh Factory, which is. I, I mean, I just I hate to say it's shooting fish in a barrel, but when it, that crowd is packed and you're bombing, yeah. you should quit comedy. Yeah. But Long Beach Laugh Factory, which is an enormous room, is cavernous. Even if it's there wasn't a lot of people, people there. It was like a Friday. Yeah. They said yeah. a lot of no shows too because I think people were scared, or maybe there was like a t attack that was like happening. They were worried. It was a yeah. really weird, like the vibe of the room was like really it's, weird. It's also like it, it's not like a galvanized room in the sense that. People are there's a lot of convention people, there's a lot of tourists, there's a lot of locals I'm and they up that what it was they kinda don't yeah. come together in a cohesive way where you go, Hey guys, we can all relate to the I mean, I promise you that night there were people who were like, What happened in Paris? No, so no, no, it was it was it, it was, was that big, okay. It was that big. Remember um it was a the concert, the guy was um Josh Ohm was in that band for a while. Uh I don't remember. Eagles of Death Metal concert, that's where it was. Eagles of Death Metal, okay. Uh, do you remember that band? I must have smoked way too much weed. I don't remember <laughs> anything you're talking about right now. It was the guys from Queens of the Stone Age, their side project. Okay. Um, let's see when this happened, so we can get an idea of. Um, two thousand. They were on stage at the Bataclan in Paris, November thirteenth, two thousand fifteen. So four years ago, and so I was, I was like. Yeah, it was like a rough week of shows, and I was just like, I don't know what's gonna do. And the next day, I was like, How am I gonna get out of this? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave on a bang. I'm gonna like, uh, I'm done with comedy. I'm like, This is really. I was like, I don't. This isn't what I. This is not what I. I was not doing well. I wasn't having fun. So I'm like, I'm just gonna go out with a good final set because I was at the, the clean show at Laugh Factory it's Saturday. Oh, when they tried to do a clean show for a while, and then they right. Like it. Yeah. it was like, and I was on that show. And I was like, I, I went through, I listened to all my sets. I'm like, what I saw what I was doing wrong. I tweaked some stuff. I changed it. It's like, I'm going to go out with a bang. And then that's it. Yeah. And I go there. And Jamie was actually there. And uh, another friend of mine was there. And I was like, all right, well, in my head, I was like, this is my last. I don't care. And I had, like, at the time, my best set of my life. Like, it was, wow. like, three applause breaks. I didn't even get to my closer because the light was on. I was like, I'm like, I don't even. It was crazy. And I was yeah. Like, and then th Jamie was there. He saw it happen, and I was that's like, "That's amazing." Uh, yeah, and then I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna." Stick I this guess out. it was. That's actually an incredible story. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, the stories of people deciding to stick with comedy 
are from like really dark places. <laughs> <laughs> that was the show that made me decide. And it was like at the time it was the best. And it was funny because, um, oh, the night before I did the midnight show too with you, uh-huh. we both came back from the Long Beach. And that was the night you did a whole set in Russian. Oh, yeah. God damn it. So f- well, the not crowd in Russian, was horrible. Like the crowd Chris was horrible. Red went up. He he did it. He couldn't get him. I think Dalia had just finished. So Chris Red had the bullet slot. Then I had the next slot. And then, or no, Amir K did, then I did, and then you did. So this is the late night, like the Friday, where there's 15 people, and Correct. they're usually stoned. And I sometimes when that happens, I go, I'm going to be Jorge from yeah, Moldova. Yes, as you did. And, and you crushed, because the cr- there was a guy in the front who was Russian, and they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that a lot, because, oh. you know, I was kind of like, if I'm going to be relegated to these to these late night slots, slots, let me at least challenge myself. Like, I don't want to blow my A material, like you know, yeah, headlining shit, material yeah, for that. twelve people where I'm bouncing around the room like a headless chicken. I want to go up there and just be a vulnerable, sad, illegal immigrant Russian and see what people think. And if they hate it, like I am at least convict. I have the conviction of of creating a character. Yeah, no, you, know what I mean? you were there. And Neil Brennan was there, too. Both nights, the first night I ate at the worst, he was there right after. And I remember I did an Elgin reference, Elgin, Illinois reference. Uh-huh. And I got off stage, and I was like, why didn't that work? And, and then he goes, and he said, he was like, Elgin, huh? Why would you choose that? Like, kind of like Neil Brennan-ish. Like, was like, uh, like he, I just ate a dick, and then one of my favorite comics was like, yeah, you really did ate a dick. And he was, he was there um, that Monday, right? I had my worst set. And yeah. then. He was there right after I had my best set. He was right after me. And did he make coming after your best yeah, set? Yeah, he did. He was like, he goes, what a comeback story that hey is man. or something like that. That's and great to like, hear. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I was like, holy shit. Like yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, great. It was like really cool. I do think that in, in comedy you need um, just a few really good comics to go, hey, every once in a while, just hey, man. That was like, good. It changes, yeah. It changes you, man. I remember like I had it would happen with – Gaffigan, I met it happened around white, and these are moments that every once in a while someone will just say, "Hey man, you're really funny." You're like, "Huh?" Ah! Yeah, it lasts for months. Try to play it cool, yeah. <laughs> no, that uh, definitely um, that happened. Uh, that happened a few other times where I'm just like, "Oh yeah," cool, you know. And then I, later in life, I've developed a relationship with some of those comics. I'm like, just so you know, when you told me that, like, that was like the greatest moment of my life. Like, yeah, Gary Gallman was a big one. Oh yeah, huge. Him, and he took me on the road for a while. And oh, that's like, amazing. Yeah, I was like, dude, you like, that was amazing. And and uh, a couple other comics, Dimitri has done that too. Like, it's just kind of cool. Yeah, Especially yeah. Especially when they watch your set when you're opening, you're like, oh, this is cool. Like, yeah, also no, scary. it's it's cool. Like, I've been uh, I've been opening for uh, Jay Moore a lot recently. Yeah, I who saw is, that. I gotta say, Jay Moore is um, I I feel like he's kind of. I think the name of his new special is called American Treasure, which is sort of ironic and sort of not, because I think that Jay Moore is kind of an unheralded genius of comedy. And I say that in the way like, look, I was in Pittsburgh shooting a TV show called Manhunt, and I was just there for two weeks doing nothing. So I went to the improv. I said, can I hop on a show? And I hopped on uh, Jay's show. And the next week, I hopped on Donnell Rawlings' show. Now, the difference between a Donnell Rawlings show and a Jay Moore show is very... I mean, Donnell Rawlings crushes, which is fine <laughs> because he has his own night. he has his own thing, yeah. and you'll have your own thing, so that's fine. But, like, but Jay Moore... And look, I'm not saying that Donnell is a better comic. Jay Moore comes from a place that is so, like, dark... It's and cerebral deep in the sense and cerebral you have to think about. and yeah. also can be very flat footed and can be very crowd pleasing because he does these impersonations and he'll do some act outs and he'll do that and then he'll get really fucking dark yeah. right in the middle of it. And you have to be your mind has to has to be able to incorporate everything that he throws at you. Yeah. And I think the result is that his crowd, he doesn't galvanize like a cohesive this is my crowd. He gets a lot of people like Jay Moore. What's his story? And then they leave either a fan or confused <laughs> or both yeah. or whatever. But I think he's I think he's really br- and you know he he, he I've been f- he'll just sit in the back and watch me, and then he just you know he'll just say to me he goes hey he goes you know man like you're what are you doing you're a headliner what are you doing <laughs> he goes I'm gonna take advantage of you as much as you'll let me take advantage of you but you're just a fucking headliner like, yeah you are a headliner you know so. I'm like, all right, well, call every fucking club and tell them to book me, motherfucker. I may yeah. be a headliner, 
but like I don't have that viral video that uh, makes right. the. Uh, but some of those clubs still are like just looking for people who are head that can they just they already have their walk up and their demographics. So you being funny and crushing, they'll they'll book you. you know? Yeah, well, I f I f I it's funny because I was just in Australia and I w and I someone said, hey, will you do the comics lounge in Melbourne? Have you been to Australia? No. People always said Australians will love you, so I go there and they said, and they I was just given the headliner spot and I was like, okay, here we go. And I'm like, I'm not gonna do my really dirty shit. Sure enough, I went into the dirty <laughs> right shit. away. And and I felt like I could have body surfed off the stage at one point. Yeah. And I was just and then they're like, hey, we want to bring you back to headline this club like next year. And That's I'm like, awesome. Hey man, I, gu I guess that happens, but I just don't ever think about it yeah you know what i mean so it, it's also for you now y you're also a headliner yeah i'm starting to get more headlining slots but there's just how know, do you make how do you make that happen because it's a it's a different world now with youtube and the social media um, like to galvanize a type of group i keep saying galvanize like i'm fucking oh, such a stupid means. word um, it just means like like g garner enough attention in order to bring a crowd together to make money for this club basically you know you got to bring a group together because yeah. you can't just be i'm a funny guy like okay you're a funny guy am i going to make money at this club um yeah i i don't know the in certain the short answer is i've been going to like certain markets that i've always gone to when i first started i would just take any slots i'm like i'm already in arizona a lot so i made like this i've got like this weird following in arizona just because i've been going there for 10 even before comedy i used to go there for spring training because i'm a huge baseball nerd yeah and um and i became i have a lot of fan base there a lot of friends yeah that would come and support my shows and then um a lot of those clubs are they started headlining me they're starting to headline me um closer to home like chicago places will headline me and uh that's about it other than like there's like this club or this uh these bookers in the midwest they'll book you for one-offs when you're headlining yeah and those are like Ooh. you know you're like oh man i wish i was the feature because you're like you only the headline has to do an hour at yeah. like a casino where nobody's paying attention no one's paying attention yeah but um i'm starting to get more headlining work i'm hoping to get more um i feel like um right now i'm in a position where i i will take whatever feature work if it's a especially theaters like opening for people like of those course. are dream jobs um but i i'm also cool taking feature slots um at venues and a lot of those places are like we're gonna have you do it one more time if you don't mind then we're gonna headline you i'm like cool yeah i'll take it yeah that's great yeah i don't quite know i know that it's changed a lot and a lot of old vanguard comics will be I used to headline in 2005, but I can't really headline now, even it's though I'm a better comic yeah. now because I don't have a hundred thousand Instagram followers. A lot of those followers. places are like that, and th and they'll and they will, um, yeah. But uh, there's a lot of those comics that are like so so funny, but they don't sell tickets because they're not viral sensations. It's such a crazy. Like but I keep thinking, like book them if they're funny. People do book them. I keep because th I I actually never I literally have never reached out to a club to headline. It's just never anything ever. I never. Well, I don't understand that. Like you can <sighs> if you would call places, I would think they'd be like, yeah. Will you be my manager? <laughs> I mean, I I can tell you what I do, and I like I do have that background where like I'm professional, and I just had a situation where a venue was like, when you're dealing with other comics who are booking a room, you're like, oh, like. It's not going to work because they're are, they're the gatekeepers and you don't want to offend them. But I just had a situation where um, in a club in the I'm not going to say where, but it was far away from here. And uh, the headliner had asked for me to open for him. He yeah. he wants to bring me in. I've worked with him and I'm like, cool, I'll do it. And then I message him I'm like, hey, uh, this weekend he goes, well, just message me as it gets closer to the date because um you know, sometimes this guy will cancel or reschedule. I'm like, cool, I'll do that. So I messaged the headliner. I'm like, hey, uh, are you for sure doing this day? He's like, yeah. He goes, because the guy told me that you might cancel. He says, no, I'm not canceling. Are you opening for me? I'm like, yeah, I think so. So I messaged him again. Just this happened today. And uh, he's like, hey, I didn't hear from you for a month. So I gave it to someone else. And then two minutes later, he goes, oh, I see. I told you to do this. He goes, I'm not happy about this, but I'm going to have to cancel this other guy. So he's putting it on me. And I'm like, I did the steps that you told me to do. Yeah. And I and I wrote this long email. I'm like, hey, I'm okay moving it. Another guy, like you're two hours away from me. Like I'm fine being a feature another time. But I'm doing the steps you told me to do because I reached out to you to to be a feature. And you're like, well, I like to do local comics. This is a small town. And yeah. I'm like, okay, 
but the headliners don't want your they don't want local your local guy. comics. They want to feel comfortable. So uh, I said, just call me. I'm trying to be professional here. I don't know what to do, but I did what you told me to do this time because you didn't want me to message you to feature or to headline. So I'm doing it the way you said. He goes, the headliners, you should contact headliners. That's what he told me to do. So I saw that a headliner friend of mine from here in L.A. I'm like, hey, do you have an opening? He goes, do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I'd love to have you rather than. Uh, he, he told me like a situation where he had someone open last time who was like beatboxing before him. <laughs> He's like, I don't want that guy. I'm like, well, yeah. I don't, I don't book the room. I'm just, it's close to Chicago. I can go. Yeah. So that happened today. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, but the owners of the club know me and like me. So I don't want to rat this guy out, but yeah, like there are, that's, those are those situations you deal with of like ego. And I, and I was like, I wrote, I'm like, did, was, did I get bad comments? Cause I know, <laughs> I know I got really, I had really good sets last time. Cause, yeah. uh, I was working with uh, a comic friend of mine too last time, and they're like, "They're like, you're like the best feature we've had here in a while." That's amazing I'm like, to hear. Tell yeah, people. I know that. Well, that's the weird thing. I get, I get, and this is like a weird sidebar, but I have, I know you have to, you have, you have like what ten minutes? I think I have, no, I have less than I don't know five what's minutes. Like, yeah, I gotta go. Um, I keep getting messages from people who are part of the incel community, and part what's of the M- oh the <laughs> MGTOW community, and for some reason I'm there like, what's I'm MG? I don't even know what that men is. going their own way. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like the king of like the school shooters, I, I, or something like that. But I, I get these kids who are like depressed, who are contacting me all the time, wanting advice, telling me their my comedy helped them, and I'm like, Oh, I ca- saw you post ca- that. Ca- but it happens all the time. So I'm like, I just post an example, but I keep going like, Well, is this something that I'm so Machiavellian? Can I turn this into gold? But I, I'm just like, am Lean I into it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but what what does that mean? Leaning Be a into TED it. Talk. You could do TED talks for these guys and then do comedy. Like, but I feel like saying like, hey, guys, just FYI. Like, I know it's like a man going their own way. And incels like I'm kind of the opposite of that shit. So whatever you're saying in my comedy, I'm kind of lying to you. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, they anyway, see you as because you're blonde and and single and married and, and self-deprecating like, yeah. like well he's not married and he's fine right. he's having a good life or whatever the fuck it is i have no idea you like the alt-right comic they, they don't need to know that you're oh girl. god isn't that fuck you know like i i you knew a guy who was who was in ram <laughs> ramstein or the band oh, of ramstein yeah, yeah. He, jewish yeah but they became like the band for the neo-nazi party in germany and yeah. he was like oh we're selling merch sounds really awful to say but um so anyway, uh, but so before you go, before you go and do after set, if you wanted to do your set and come back and talk, we can do a little bit more if you wanted yeah. to, depending on how you feel. Um, uh, what are you going like to do tonight? You might not want that. Yeah, that's fine. What do you, you want to do tonight? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm going to see what the crowd is like. I have a couple friends. Uh, one of the guys who's there is actually one of the companies I pitched something to like a year ago, so it's going to be weird. So I kind of want to do the hits, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll do the I hits, man. I always want to go to Laugh Factory. It's like there's like a pressure to do well. Especially I know. when it's on the only n- person on the lineup that no one knows. Yeah. But, uh, tonight, I think there's a couple guys that are like me. We'll see. But that's fine. I always find like if you you, f- you follow Donna Rollins, I'm follow I am following him. He's on stage right now. Just go on, take a breath, take a beat, and be like, "Hey, it's me. Hi." Let them acclimate, and then you'll go. Guy? What do you guys want to <laughs> talk about? Yeah, I don't know what I'll do. I'll figure it I out. Kind of fun to watch, and if you bomb, it'll be even funnier. I'll, I'll do the. I'll do. The, hey, you guys, remember that uh, <laughs> bombing in France at Bataclan? <laughs> well, I want to talk about that. Okay, well, I'll let you go. Check out the end of Donnell Rawlings, and yeah. hey, man, thanks for sticking around. Thanks if you want to come yeah, back, let me know. Thanks for doing. I definitely will do it again, or whenever you want to do. All right, brother. Thanks, man.